This episode of Point of View Uncensored is sponsored by Juicy Details, here located on the southeast side of Atlanta. Welcome back to Point of View Uncensored. I'm Dr. Renaissance. I'm Dr. Jake. I'm DJ Gray, everyone. How y'all doing? Hope everyone is blessed, blessed uh, on this cold um, Monday <laughs> evening. <laughs> but today we have a special guest with us today. Um, a, a, a very uh, remarkable woman. I've met her a few times. Um, she is um, the executive director of the Georgia Coalition of the People's Agenda. Um, her name is Miss Helen Butler. Um, she's done a lot of different things in the community, and I kind of wanted to just give her take on, you know, um, explaining herself and, and letting everybody understand who she is and uh, why she's with us today. How are you doing today, Miss Butler? Great. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on this show. I I'm really honored to be a part of this. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad you decided to um, to come in with us and interview. I tell you, I've, I've uh, you know, I like doing uh, behind the scenes kind of work, and this is putting me out there. Okay, so, uh, but anyway, I enjoy talking to people, I, especially young people. I get to learn a lot from you all, and hopefully, you'll learn something from me. Uh, but I've been the executive director of the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda since uh, 2003 uh, when I joined with, uh, I don't know if you know, the People's Agenda is a nonpartisan, nonprofit advocacy organization that was founded by the late Dr. Joseph Lowry and so many other civil rights leaders after he left. Uh, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference as the longest serving president of that organization. Uh, so uh, he was gonna retire and people told him, no, you can't retire because you still got work to do. And so our mission is to improve the quality of governance in Georgia. So we do a lot of things to get people registered to vote, get them educated, mobilized. We protect the right to vote and we advocate for other issues like education, economic empowerment, criminal justice reform, uh, and environmental justice. Those are some of our top issues, but we do other issues in the community. And so, uh, I, like I said, I've been here since 2003. I got to meet all of the civil rights legends, uh, C.T. Reverend Dr. C.T. Vivian, Ambassador Andrew Young, John Lewis, Rita Jackson Samuels, of course, Dr. Lowry, Mrs. Lowry, Mrs. Abernathy, Coretta Scott King, um, you name it. I've met uh, Amelia Boynton, who is a lot of people don't know in Selma, did a lot uh, with uh, Reverend Hosea Williams. So uh, I even met Hosea when I was in college because uh, we were doing a little protesting at UGA. And so uh, he came down and I got to meet him there. But I met so many unsung heroes and sheroes uh, in this movement that got us, one, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, but so many other things that they've worked on to help get us uh, equal justice. Okay, good. Wow. Thank you for giving us that great descriptive um, presentation and biography, I'm sorry, um, of everything you did. A lot of great uh, accolades. 
I have a quick question, um, uh, if you don't mind. Um, I'm curious, um, since you were so kind of, you know, uh, intertwined with the political parties, kind of the policies that were being debated um, for so many years, um, now that you're kind of out of the game, so to speak, what have you noticed is different today versus when you were kind of, you know, in the trenches? Well, I'm still in the trenches. I I was just down in Lincoln County trying to save uh, polling locations from uh, being consolidated, seven being consolidated into one. But what I found different than before, there's a lot of barriers that we thought we had overcome uh, when we had the protections of the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. We had pre-clearance uh, by the Department of Justice when the Voting Rights Act was first instituted. And so states like Georgia that would, had discriminatory practices and policies, uh, the Voting Rights Act had a protection called Section 5, and it was determined by a formula called Section 4, but that would allow uh, any change to voting rights uh, policies and procedures uh, would have to be pre-cleared by the Department of Justice. And in 2013, the Supreme Court said the formula that put these states into pre-clearance process was out of date and Congress needed to update it. And we've been fighting with Congress to do the Freedom to Vote Act, as well as the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which would in itself put the pre-clearance process back in place. The Freedom to Vote Act would give standardized standards across all states uh, for to be followed in federal elections. And so we were advocating for that. So what I've seen is that there is this viciousness to put barriers in place. And it may not seem like it was the poll tax back in 65, or it was not having someone recite the preamble to the Constitution to a person that didn't even know it themselves uh, to prevent them from being able to exercise that right to vote. But there are still barriers being put in place. Uh, so, you know, it's there, it's here, and it is Jim Crow 2.0, as it's been labeled, and yes, it is, because it makes it more difficult for people of color to exercise and people, low-income people, not just people of color, because the people down in Lincoln County who would have to travel 15 to 25 miles are both white and black, so it doesn't matter. Uh, it's a barrier that they would have to overcome just to exercise their right to vote when they don't have MARTA, they don't have rapid transit, they don't have Uber there, they don't even have Lyft there. Uh, I mean, and the internet connections are so poor uh, when you try to do your absentee ballot applications online, then you would have problems doing that as well. So it's just putting barriers in place like that. The other thing is doing is taking people off boards of elections like myself. I was a member of the Board of Elections in Morgan County 
Uh, so I was trained by the state. I knew the laws. Uh, but more importantly, I was advocating for drop boxes. I was advocating for diverse poll workers. I wanted young people. If you look at all our new voting equipment, uh, the check-in process is with an iPad. All people like me don't know how to fix an iPad, don't even know how to turn it on half the time. So it was having a diverse staff that I wanted. I wanted drop boxes so that it would be easy for people during this pandemic uh, to go and cast their ballot without coming in contact with someone who may be exposed because my county wasn't requiring vaccinations. It wasn't requiring masks to be worn. Uh, so it had a high uh, rate uh, of COVID. And so to protect people, we wanted those uh, drop boxes. So those are the changes. It's the same old tactics in a new format. Um, why I say that, the poll tax, where you had to be a property owner and pay a tax to really exercise the right to register to vote. Well, now you have to get an ID. To get an ID, you have to pay $30 or more to get that. And if you don't have your birth certificate to get that ID, that ID, you have to pay a lawyer uh, thousands of dollars to help you get the necessary documents just to prove you were born in the U.S. Because unlike you know, young people thought people were born in the hospitals. Back in the 40s and 50s, Black people and people of color were not born in hospitals. They were uh, delivered by midwives. And so there were no birth certificates. So those are the kinds of things that are still there that we are overcoming and having to go through hoops just to exercise our right to vote. When 200 years before now, before we first introduced photo ID, we voted by signing a document, a certificate saying, I am who I am, I live where I live, and under penalties of purge of uh, perjury are, you know, I could be uh, brought up on legal charges for fraudulently saying I wasn't who I was and I wasn't, I didn't live where I was. So again, we voted without photo ID. We voted without all these barriers, having to have an ID just to request an absentee ballot. So it's things like that that people are putting in place. And they're taking people like me off of these boards because we want to protect the right to vote and we want to make sure people can vote without barriers. And I know that's a long answer, but I had to tell you that. But that was very informative. It did put a different light and perspective on things. Um, I, you hear... Um, the comparison, especially with calling uh, what we're experiencing now Jim Crow 2.0, but you shed some light to kind of draw the parallel to what it is that you were speaking about. It's, it's the same kind of barriers. I was one of the first 50 to integrate the University of Georgia 
at the Hamilton and Charlene Hunter Integrated UGA. So those are same, the same kind of barriers that we encountered are they're trying to put them back in place now. And it has no reason for being there other than the minority is trying to control because as you know, the census is saying that Georgia will be the minorities in Georgia, people of color will be the majority uh, come 2040. So people are trying to retain power and that's what it's all about is retaining power any way they can. It's not fixing uh, integrity or fraud in the election process, the Secretary of State, uh, as well as the GBI basically said, our processes in Georgia did not have any fraud involved. So, but our legislature is continuously putting barriers in place so that they can shave off numbers and numbers matter. They can shave off the percentages of people who vote a certain way, which means that gives them the more opportunity to be, uh, to win their races. So that's what it's all about. And people have to look at it from that perspective. In 2020 and 2021, we had the highest turnout rates with the exception of the Obama days. Uh, but when he got elected, but it was the highest that you've had. And for young people like you, it is definitely the most highest. And they saw the necessity. If you look at the killing of Ahmaud Aubrey, where the DA down there refused, the original DA refused to bring those guys up on charges. Well, the young people got the old people together and they said, no way. We're not gonna do this. We'll get rid of that DA. They uh, elected a new district attorney that did bring prosecution against those three guys. And that's how they got convicted. So without the involvement of young people understanding the connections between public policy and getting things done in the community that they won't like, criminal justice reform, you've got to have the right people in those positions. And so no matter what barriers they put in place for us, I'm saying for people, overcome those barriers, get a way around it. If it means that I'm going to take portable copiers, put it on my table, and anybody that wants to come up and make the copies of their IDs, they can do it. Uh, those are the kinds of things that we have to do to make sure we're able to exercise our right to vote. Even if you're standing in line, they're saying you can't give a bottle of water, right? But that's not the most egregious process because we can give you water beyond 150 feet of the entrance to the uh, polling location. Uh, so that's not a barrier. But the most egregious part is the total takeover process of the elections where they remove the Secretary of State from being head of the state election board. Uh, so he doesn't oversee that and he's accountable to voters because he's elected. So the legislature can now appoint 
someone to be over the state election board. Then they have the process where the SB 202 says that the legislature can say, well, if I think a county is not performing, they can remove the entire board and the supervisor like they're trying to do in Fulton County, which means that this um, appointed person who has no responsibility to voters, but is a legion aligned to the legislature would have control of who gets registered, whose votes get counted, right? Uh, where your polling locations will be located, as well as to certify that election. And so to go along with the lie, if somebody wanted to find 11,000 votes, this appointed person is not obligated to do what the voters want done because they are obligated to the General Assembly. And right now the General Assembly is controlled by one political party. And I'm sure it has nothing to do with a political party because I'm sure the Dems would do the same thing that the Republicans are doing. But it's up to us as voters to hold them both accountable so that they are accountable to us as voters. Kirkland Cardin, the commissioner of Gwinnett County, he was saying that um, Lucy Mc, Representative Lucy McBell may lose her seat because of the um, the whole census process and the redistricting. Is that is that the case? Of course she is. What it happens is every 10 years, we know the census help us determine not only what monies come back to our neighborhood, but it gets to tell us who gets to determine how those monies are spent in our neighborhood. So in redistricting, what has happened is the Republican-controlled General Assembly has drawn maps that would put um, change the boundaries of Lucy McBath District and make it so that it's more Republican than it is more Democratic. So she, in essence, will not be running in her sixth congressional district seat. She's now going over to the Gwinnett, to Carolyn Bardot's seventh congressional district uh, to actually run in that district because it is more Democratic leaning. And I'm nonpartisan, but I'm just telling you factually how it was drawn. But yes, they drew it. Uh, we drew maps ourselves because what we wanted to do was have independent redistricting by citizens, by people in the community. So we couldn't get that bill passed in our legislature. So we drew our maps anyway. We presented them to the legislature. They totally ignored them. The way we drew the maps, there was... A, equal representation in our map. So, um, you know, they didn't want that. They wanted skewed one way versus another way. So that means that the people that had voted for Lucy McBath in the sixth congressional district now has this gerrymandered district that goes up to Forsyth County and some other counties north that would make it more Republican 
leaning than it would uh, as it stands at this present uh, moment. So those people are going to get a new representative. And that's happened all over the state, not just in um, her district. In Sanford Bishop's district, what they did is pack more Black people in his district to dilute our voting strength so that we could have maybe influenced other districts beyond his congressional district, but packing us all in one, his district um, does a disservice to our strength and our voting strength. So it's things like that, that your elected officials are doing, but people don't understand that process and they don't, you know, they just think, well, I voted for this two U.S. senators. Well, it doesn't stop there. You got to be engaged in every election and you got to hold your elected officials accountable beyond election day. Let's say that they're successful in pulling these things off. What other methods or um, ideas can we implement to kind of um, bring favor? Well, the thing we've got to remember is we've got to show up to vote. We cannot sit down. We got to have turnout, turnout, turnout. We've got to be at those local boards of elections meeting. We got to be at the board of county commissioners. We got to be down at the state capitol. We've got to be at our city council meetings, uh, holding our elected officials accountable. And when we vote, uh, we've got to be there to watch that process in its entirety. Uh, we can't just vote and think, oh, somebody else is going to do it. But we can observe the counting of the ballots. We can make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do with those ballots. Um, we can assist voters on election day or during early voting. We can give them rides to the polls. Uh, we can do those. We can phone bank them. We can text them to remind them of the deadlines. Uh, in the municipal election, uh, the largest percentage of absentee ballot applications were rejected because of the new deadline in SB 202 that says uh, you have to request your ballot 11 days prior to election day in order for it to, for you to get an absentee ballot application. But a lot of people didn't know that because before now, the Friday before election day, you could actually request a ballot up until that time. And as long as you returned it on election day, it would be counted by 7 p.m. on election day. Out of precinct voting, if you show up, a lot of people, like people, I'm going to give you an example, in Lincoln County, or in Lincoln County, uh, a lot of people uh, work in South Carolina. They work in Augusta. They work in different parts of the state uh, because there are no real jobs in, in Lincoln County. So they have to come from the other parts of the state go 15 miles into one centralized location 
to be able to vote. And if you get there uh, and, and you're, and I guess this is a bad example, but let's say for instance, uh, you forgot that you uh, were registered in Elberton. Well, you'd have to go back to Elbert County and Elbert County would mean that if you didn't get there, uh, if you got there before 5 p.m., your vote wouldn't count. But if you were uh, in a provisional situation in Lincoln County, after five, it would count. But those are things that people don't know because that's the new bill that was passed. So maybe Fulton is a better example. Let's say if I uh, came from Gwinnett and I stopped, I stopped at um, Mercedes-Benz Arena and it was before five and I actually have to go to South Fulton to vote, then you know sometimes traveling on the freeways would mean you'd never get there in time. So your vote wouldn't count. So those are the kinds of things that uh, are new. It's individuals like you that are kind of on the front lines, putting in the the work and, and, and fighting for what's right that, um, uh, you know, we all can aspire to in some way. So um, I appreciate you um, kind of uh, enlightening us in that respect. I do have a question just a little bit off topic, uh, not too much uh, off topic, but uh, here in Georgia, you know, uh, uh, relatively recently, Stacey Abrams announced that she's going to be running for uh, the governor uh, 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 position. And I'm just curious um, your thoughts on how that's going to play out um, over the next, uh, I guess, less than a year. Well, as I said, we are uh, nonpartisan. So it to us, we really don't care uh, we do care. I mean, she would be historic from that perspective if she were elected governor. She'd be the first black governor in Georgia, first female in Georgia. Uh, so that would be historic in that perspective. Uh, but I think people have to evaluate candidates based on what they say they will do. But you've also got to really look at what they're saying Think for yourself, now, does that really make sense or doesn't it make sense? And uh, whether it's Kemp, whether it's Purdue, uh, whether it's Stacy or whomever else is running, um, we have to make sure that we are educated about what where they stand on policies that will impact our communities. That's the critical part know where they stand. Uh, again, and as a Black female, as an individual, I'd be happy to see someone that looks like me as governor. That has never happened. Just like I'd be happy that the first Black woman get appointed to the Supreme Court. Uh, we've been asking for that for years, that we would like to have representation, um, you know, because the experiences that I've had as a Black woman is quite different than Paul's as a Black male and as you as a white male. So, you know, our experiences are different. So we need all perspectives 
to really understand and do the right thing for all people who live in Georgia. I'm glad you brought up the Supreme Court. Um, so I was looking and I see that a couple of nominees that that Joe, President Joe Biden do have in place is uh, Judge Katani Brown-Jackson, um, Judge J. Michelle Childs, and um, Judge uh, Leandra Kroger. And so with those nominees, um, what, I guess my question is, I'm going to word it. What qualifications do they have, or why do he, why would he choose these particular candidates? Um, and as far as, because I'm, I'm assuming if he's picking these candidates, he wants to endorse these candidates. Why are these these particular candidates that is that he wants? Like, what's so special about these candidates? I guess that's what I'm essentially asking. I guess I would say there are about seven or more black females uh, that are good candidates for to be a Supreme Court justice. Uh, they have a proven track record. Uh, they uh, litigated a lot of cases that they would be hearing as Supreme Court justices. They're highly qualified. And I don't care which one he selects, as long as it's a Black woman who is qualified, who gets the uh, nomination and gets uh, appointed as um, Supreme Court Justice. Um, again, I think there's a long list of people like Sherilyn Eiffel, who was uh, uh, over the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, who has litigated before the Supreme Court that knows the workings of the Supreme Court, uh, that have different backgrounds in law. I mean, um, Childs has a law that's more on the business side of things uh, versus Sh uh, Sherilyn Eiffel, who has uh, more on voting rights and, and uh, NAACP kind of issues, civil rights, human rights issues. Uh, so it doesn't matter. They're all qualified. And we're saying that they should be a appointed soon, confirmed soon. Um, there's nothing stopping it. And, and, he, and the first one that you named, uh, she's already been vetted. Uh, and a lot of them have already been vetted. They passed the background. They're solid. Uh, they're well-respected. Uh, they know the law. They know the Constitution. So. Uh, I'm saying, why are we waiting? I do have one question. Do you, how do you feel um, about this possibly being a way to um, change President Biden's overall uh, approval rating that's dropped over recently? Um, I've heard discussions of people being concerned of whether or not this is to compensate uh, black voters into... Um... I don't care about President Biden's ratings. I care, do care, though, that we get a black woman on the Supreme Court. Why? Because we have been advocating for that. I'm a member of the Black Women's Roundtable, uh, which is a part of the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation. I convene the Georgia Black Women's Roundtable. 
Uh, so we have been advocating for this for years. If you go back and look at some of our reports that we produce annually, reports, um, we've had 11 years of Black Women's Summit where we talked about we want a Black woman on the court. We need diversity. I talked about diversity, why it's necessary to have different views for different people coming from different backgrounds so that we will be able to know what the masses feel and know how these laws would impact people from different perspectives. So I want a diverse court. I want that to happen. We have, um, you know, a white woman. We have white men. We have a black male. We have a Latinx person on the court. Uh, so I want a black woman to be represented on the court as well. Okay, good. Um, that's that's a uh, very <laughs> very uh, really well put. I was I honestly say that. Um, so with the so Senate, because I, I mean, I, my understanding it takes the Senate in order to confirm this this Supreme Court justice. Um, how do you think that's going to play out? You know, I know I, I was reading an article about Mitch McConnell. He stated that um, it was out it'll be outsourcing to put a black woman on the Supreme Court. And honestly, I mean, what does he mean by that outsourcing? Like, is it like a, that <laughs> like, seems like almost like a, a job that you kind of shipping off seas. Like, I don't see how you're comparing that to a black woman becoming a, a Supreme Court justice. I don't understand uh, Mitch McConnell uh, being from um, West, uh, where he is, Kentucky is where he's from. I think that's where he's from. I forget where he's from. I try to forget him. But anyway, his his thinking is so outdated. And to me, that is thinking uh, back in the 50s, not in the four 21st century, that is. Um, you, you're not outsourcing. This person is highly qualified. In fact, all of the women candidates are more qualified than a lot of people who have been appointed men that have been appointed to the Supreme Court. There have been white men that weren't even lawyers that were appointed to the court, but these are all legal people. And they, a lot of them have gone to the best universities in the US. Not that that's necessary for me because Childs didn't go and she's just as qualified as any of them that went to Harvard or Yale. But I'm saying, why do you have one set of criteria for one person and not for the other? He, he voted for a lot of men that didn't have these qualifications. So why would you say this would be outsourcing when this person, these people are well qualified, overqualified, in fact, uh, than some of the guys that have been appointed to the court. And so do you think that um, 
the Senate will have enough votes to pass to bring to confirm this, like based on what we're hearing right now? Well, right now, just uh, facts, the Democrats have, if they stick together, uh, the Democrats will have uh, the vote to really confirm the person. And Mitch McConnell has uh, is the one that said, do away with the filibuster for Supreme Court nominations. So it's here. So um, the Democrats have the vote if they stick together. Uh, like I said, uh, a lot of these people have already been confirmed for other positions uh, that they've held in the judicial system. So it should be no, no barriers as to why they shouldn't be confirmed as Supreme Court justices. So the Black Farmers Bill, um, you, are you familiar with that bill with the Black Farmers? That um, It was like a $5 billion um, bill that's supposed to went to Black Farmers. And, it's, and now I believe the judge kind of had it held. I think the judge in Florida, I believe. Like, you know, what's, what's, what's going on with that? I'm not real familiar with that, but I've uh, read about it. And to me, the black farmers have been supporting uh, this economy um, for a long time, and they deserve their uh, portion of funding just like others have gotten set aside, gotten uh, federal help. They deserve the same. Uh, there again, there is no reason why they shouldn't. I'm not real familiar with it in totality, but all I can tell you is from what I know of it, uh, it seems like, again, the double standards. Yeah, and, and it's kind of crazy that a lot of people don't aren't really familiar with that, and and, and that was one of the uh, pieces that um, Joe President Joe Biden put in place. And the fact that the judge kind of just have it on hold and no one's really talking about it, it's kind of real alarming. Like, like so you're saying these group of white people just stated, oh, okay, because it, it, it looks discriminatory against the whites that we cannot get this funding. And then the judge kind of puts a block on it and like no one's kind of saying anything about it. Like no one's raising alarms from the, from the federal government or like for the people. It's kind of really concerning for me. Again, we are just so overwhelmed with so many bad things coming at us. Uh, that we're having to fight, whether it's the criminal justice reform, uh, whether it's healthcare, COVID, uh, mental health, uh, you know, education. Uh, they're even trying to hijack education with this uh, anti-discriminatory kind of crap that they're talking about. Uh, they call it critical race theory that no one is teaching. Uh, except colleges, but again, uh, it's trying to do away with people being able to think for themselves critically, uh, not to be fully educated. It's so many things that they're attacking all at once. It takes us all to find a niche that we can attack. And so we've got to find businesses and other farmers that will talk about this. You guys can talk about it. You can make it well known as to why it's critical. And it's not just for black farmers. Black farmers deserve their share, as I said. 
white people have always gotten a lot of assistance and it was discriminatory against black people, but no one spoke up. Now that it's the allegedly discriminatory against whites, you're gonna put it on whole bull. It's just um, the minority, try, the, the white people trying to retain control that they have the power that they have. And instead of us being the melting pot that America is supposed to be about, that all of us can enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness without barriers. Those funds for the farmers are our tax dollars. So my tax dollars is funding that. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. I want to give you um, one last opportunity to, um, as like a call to act, call to action, um, before you um, head out. Um, definitely, thank you again. Is there anything you want to leave lasting um, for our viewers? Well, I say go vote. Vote in every election. Attend your board of elections meetings, your county commission, your city council, your board of education meetings. I know you can't, and many of us are working three or four jobs, but get your block and divvy up the responsibilities and have a block party to discuss what was said at each one of those. And we can be abreast of what's happening. Invite every elected official who comes and asks you for their vote, ask them back on a periodic basis, whether it's monthly, whether it's weekly or whether it's quarterly, and ask them, what did you do for me? Explain, how did you give me part of my tax dollars? What part came back to me? How did it come to me? What percentage did I get? So that you can be really knowledgeable. Don't let anyone take your power away. Your power is your vote. Exercise it. They're putting barriers. If it wasn't powerful, they wouldn't put barriers in place. They're doing that to take your power. Don't give it away. Every election, and when you get a ballot, go all the way. Don't stop at governor, because down there is that public service commissioner who determines your utility bills. Not just your light bills, but your telephone, your internet service, all of that. Judges are down the ballot. So all of those races are critical. Know it. If you need help, we have election protection number 866-OUR-VOTE, 866-OUR-VOTE, 866-687-8688. Call that toll-free number. We'll point you in the right direction. We don't tell you who to vote for, but we'll tell you how to get the information. And there we have it, the most beautiful and sassy, Helen Butler. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Keep up the good work. Well, that wraps up our uh, episode of Point of View Uncensored. Again, I'm Dr. Renaissance signing off. Be blessed.